Coming at you with another episode of Wizards After Dark. I'm Fred Katz. I'm the host of Wizards After Dark. I also cover the Wizards for The Athletic. Uh, was not at the game in Orlando tonight. I'm meeting them on the road trip after this. I'm flying to San Antonio tomorrow uh, afternoon. And then I'll be at the game in Cleveland that follows that. On the other line, I got the typer. We're Skyping. He's in Orlando. He was actually at the game. Ben Standing from NBC Sports Washington. That is a true story. That's not fake news. I wa- I am in Orlando. I did see the Wizards win a game. Um, they tried not to for a minute, and then they decided, oh, we're not that wiz- we're not those Wizards anymore, and they uh, and they won. Yeah. So you know what was funny about this game? So the Wizards ended up winning this game, ninety five ninety one. This game was a carbon copy, but the exact opposite of the game in Orlando earlier this year. When the Wizards were down, I think it was 23, it was 20-something, 23-22, John Wall leads them on a big comeback in the fourth quarter. They come within one point with a couple of minutes to go, and they just couldn't get over the hump. They could never take the lead. They end up losing that game. They just couldn't make that comeback all the way there. This was the same thing. Wizards lead by 18 in the second half. They're rolling. They're dominating. It's just on the other end. All of a sudden, the Magic end up, the Magic bench as opposed to their wall equivalent to a magic bench lineup, ends up leading this big comeback for them behind Mo Bamba and others. And uh, they end up tying the game. I don't think they ever took the lead, right? No, they, they did. Uh, Vucevic hit oh, a... Oh, you're uh, right. Hit with like a, a, just under two minutes to go. They go up two, but that was the last right. basket they scored. Right, uh, they go up 89, 87, or 91, 89, or whatever it was. Uh, but, but could not end up with... Uh, Holding on to the lead. Uh, some quick numbers. Bradley Beal had 27, 6 and 7, shot well, 10 of 17 for the field. He made five threes. Jeff Green made six threes, six for nine from three, 24 points. Uh, I believe that's a season high for, for Jeff Green. Vucevic had 28. He missed a couple of big free throws down the stretch. Where, where are we starting on this one? Did they? Let's start with the generic. Did they play well because they went up by 18 on the road on the second half of a back-to-back? Was it unimpressive because Orlando is not good and they couldn't hold on to a lead? Uh, where, where are you at with that? You know, I don't want to keep falling into the trap of sort of moral, you know, the moral victory, hey, they gutted it out type of thing. But I, I'm going to probably, and that's kind of where I was at after Golden State, after the Toronto double overtime, like, hey, you know, it did about as well as you could. I, I, I kind of fall into that camp here as well. I mean, look, back-to-backs are common, obviously. In this case, though, it was a back-to-back off an 8 o'clock game against the best team in the league. I was told they didn't even get into Orlando till near 4 o'clock in the morning, or at least into their hotel or something like that. Um, and, you know, Orlando did not play the day before. The Wizards are, you know, as we know, they don't, they're not running very deep these days. So, Put it all together. And then, of course, there's also the factor of NBA home teams tend to, you know, rally. <laughs> you know, I mean, leads are not safe in the NBA no matter who you are. I mean, the Wizards came back on Golden State a decent amount uh, last night as well. Just couldn't get over the hump. So, I, in the end, if they had lost, I might have thought differently because, you know, it, it, that would be a brutal loss. They, ha- they actually have not lost back-to-back games in 2019, which is I didn't realize, I didn't, hadn't noticed that until today. But they did win. So I'll give them credit for that. They they found a way. They found enough ways to gut it out of the end. Orlando helped big time in the last two minutes. They botched numerous situations, and maybe the Wizards lose. But 
you know what, the Wizards, these aren't the same Wizards that we saw several weeks back lose this kind of game, and the players kind of acknowledge that, that they would have botched this thing a month or two ago, but, you know, something is different happening now. I'll give them credit because this basically took the tropes of a second game of a back-to-back game, right? Like, they, when teams really falter on second nights of back-to-backs, I mean, sometimes they just come out flat, period, but often you'll see a team get out to a good start and trick themselves and trick the viewers and trick, trick everybody that's is watching and trying to analyze it and be like, oh, you know what, they look okay. And then they come out, and at some point in the second half, they just start to look gassed, you know. And that was kind of what happened with the Wizards. That bench lineup was just playing with more energy than the rest of those guys. Um, and, you know, you looked at – there were some execution things that they got away from in the second half. Like, for example, that lineup with Jeff Green at the five that they closed with, that they were so successful with in the first half, they weren't as successful with in the second half. They were really good with that in the first half, in part because they were just making them threes. Jeff Green was hitting every three. Otto Porter was getting corner threes. I mean, they were they were hitting their shots, and things look really good when you're hitting those shots. You know, you can go through the exact same process, get the exact same types of catch-and-shoot looks, and if they don't go in, then people are going to be like, well, you got outscored by two during those five minutes, and so it didn't quite work as well as you want. It's like, no, you can, you can judge on the process of those sorts of possessions. In the second half, when it wasn't working, even though they were going up against Vucevic, I thought they stopped three-point hunting in that lineup. And it was working really well from just the type, not not just because the threes were going in, but the type of some looks that they were getting. They were getting Otto Porter, catch and shoot corner threes. I mean, they were making the extra pass every single time. They were Jeff Green picking popping, and they were just going to Vucevic. I mean, Vucevic is a better defender than he used to be. And he had some okay possessions when he got switched tonight. And, and they kind of are an emergency switch team. They're not going to primarily switch with him ever. They're just, you know, they're, they're trying to contain the ball with him and, and just kind of worrying about switching if they absolutely have to. And there are some times he got switched on the Beal. But what the Wizards were just trying to do is not necessarily create mismatches, but create situations in the first half where they could swing for threes. They kind of got away from that with that lineup in the second half. I didn't notice anything that... Orlando was doing much differently. I think that was more just on the Wizards' prerogative. Uh, so I, I think that's a little bit of a change from how they were operating in the first half. Uh, but they were they were okay. I mean, they they that lineup played pretty well defensively. Jeff Green did a pretty good job on on Vucha on the other end because he's really good. Like he is, in my opinion, he should be an All Star this year. He should be one of the reserves. He's had a really really good year and he's vastly improved. And when he plays, Orlando is legitimately good, and when he does not play, Orlando is very bad, uh, and uh, did we see that tonight? No, we didn't see that tonight. They were they got outscored when he was on the floor tonight, uh, so like they, they did an okay job with him, but those those lineups, I would say, like that that's if you want to say they played poorly, they got away from what they did well, I think that's your best argument for it, but they just kind of looked a little tired to me in the second half, and you know, they ended up gutting out a win. That's that's okay. Like even though Orlando's not good, like that's that's not like it was a bad performance. I didn't think. So I was tasked with writing the uh, immediate post game story for uh, for our site, and you know when when you're in that mode for having to file on a deadline, you know I always say if you want to know what happened in the end of a basketball game right after the file on a deadline, don't ask me. <laughs> because you know you, you got to do two things simultaneously. But every time, but we are our, our basket. Uh, where the media seats, we have pretty good seats for the Orlando. You're right, 
you know, right right by the Wizards bench and right on the baseline. But we were at the end where Orlando was uh, scoring, and every time I looked up, Orlando was like one foot from the basket, uh, getting a layup or, or getting a, an easy shot. And on the other end, it just felt like the Wizards were just settling for for some for some deeper shots. To, you know, they just weren't moving the ball as well. And it did just look like tired legs, and the players somewhat admitted to that um, a, a, after the after the game. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, oh, by the way, I'm also going to take the blame for this because somewhere in the third quarter, I decided, you know what? Let me just start going ahead and writing something glowing here about how the Wizards, you know, the, 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 they're coming out here, you know, the, the Golden State, they could have looked past Orlando and all that. And, you know, look what they did. And then, of course, I look up, I'm like, oh, come on. It's kiss of death. I completely screwed myself by doing that. It's, 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 it's all my fault for that, for sure. Um, but... Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, look. I, but one thing I was writing about was, like you said, with Jeff Green. I mean, you know, the thing the thing that's interesting about the Wizards is they don't have, as we know, they don't have a ton of options. Um, you know, if Thomas Bryant, it's like they did use Yama Mahimi a bit tonight. We can get to him a little bit later, but um, or if you want, but uh, you know, the, the, they're typically not going with Mahimi a ton. So when Thomas Bryant's off the court, they don't have any other big man who is a center. And against Vucevic, that's a problem. But the, I, I think Scott Brooks wisely is just looking at it like we have to just go with our strengths. Screw the other team. Whatever they have, it is what it is. And that's why you had Sam Decker dealing with DeMarcus Cousins last night because, or on uh, Thursday night because, look, it's the, heart, the, the epitome of not ideal. But you can't you, – you, they, they're not in a position where they can do everything they want. They just have to at some point, this is who we are. These are the people we want on the court, and we're going to have to figure out and hope that our strengths counter the other team's you know, uh, advantages when we go in these situations. And, you know, I think for the most part, as you've pointed out often on Twitter and elsewhere, these, this small lineup has worked, and it did in the first half tonight. Jeff Green's popping threes. But, yeah, I mean, Orlando's size and, and some tired legs seem to wear them down. But, you know, at the end of the, end of the day, they uh, did what they had to do and got that W. Yeah, let me find this. I want to find this because this is, like, the ultimate. That small lineup that Sadoransky – Green, Ariza, Porter, and Beal. Uh, that is the ultimate example of we are just going to do what we want to do, and we're going to hope it works. Because the offensive and meshed with the defensive uh, numbers on that are just wild. Uh, I'm trying to find this. I know I, know I had it somewhere. Because the so, last so- time I checked, do you have this? Well, I, I just have it for tonight's game um, on NBA.com. So that lineup, Ariza Green, Beal, Sadoransky, Porter, played 10 minutes, had a net rating of plus 41.3. Um, and obviously that's yeah, that's not probably where it is. That's not where it is over the course of the season, but it's been, you know, that that type of impressive. And that's with, or, or, I mean, um, you know, I assume some of that was also when Orlando was coming back in the end. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, and, and that was with a defensive rating of 68.2. Yeah, so, so um, that, that brought it down a lot because so far this year, that so that lineup right now on the season, this includes those numbers from tonight now, that lineup is plus 5.5 per 100 possessions, 68 minutes. It's Brooks' third most used lineup now. And that lineup, as of two days ago when I checked, had a 119 offensive rating and a 119 defensive rating, which was like the ultimate, we're just going with our strength. 119 offensive rating is like, if you have a 119 offensive rating, you are by far the best offensive team in the history of the NBA, and it's not close. 
And if you have a 119 defensive rating, you are by far the worst defensive team in the history of the NBA. That's not close. Like, it is it is amazing to see those numbers, and they're not as extreme now. They've, they've become more normal now. It's a 114.4 offensive rating, which is very, very, very good, and a 108.9 defensive rating, which is, my guess is that if you compare that to a team that's somewhere in the 15 to 20 in the league range, uh, it's probably somewhere around then. Like, it's competent. You can get away with it if you're scoring really well, like they are. Uh, and so that kind of makes sense. It sounds like a lot of those defensive numbers came against Orlando tonight when that lineup was, was really kind of really well and they were getting some steals and they were hitting threes early and uh, that, that definitely helped with it. But uh, other thing I want to talk about, other thing, uh, Otto Porter tonight, because this is a thing that I haven't discussed. I haven't seen many people. I haven't seen anyone discuss it. It doesn't mean no one has said it. But a lot of people have talked about, tons of people, have talked about Otto Porter's shooting numbers being down. And whenever people talk about that, they talk about his three-point shooting, the fact that he's like 37% from three or whatever he is. And the past couple of years, he's been 44%. And he's been one of the best catch-and-shoot guys in the league. The catch-and-shoot numbers are down. All the three-point numbers are down. There's no question that's something that the Wizards did not expect. Even though the numbers have come back up after a, a slow start, he's been better of late. Tonight, he was, what was he, 3 for 12 from the field, 2 for 5 from 3. But here's the thing that I, I haven't talked about, other people haven't talked about. So he was 0 for 4 from mid-range tonight. And one of the great luxuries of Otto Porter is that he was such a good mid-range shooter the last two years that he broke the math. The Wizards were okay with him taking mid-range shots, not just because they were the Wizards and they were fourth in the NBA in mid-range shots last year, but also because Otto Porter taking a mid-range shot was a good shot. Like, if Otto Porter shot the percentages he did from mid-range and played for the Rockets, the Rockets would be okay with him taking mid-range shots because Otto Porter was a 50% shooter from mid-range the last two years, which if you're operating out of the half court, that's one point per, per possession. You're, that, that's going to make you one of the best half-court offenses in the league you average one point per possession. You know, half-court teams are averaging like .95 points per possession. Otto this year is shooting, on NBA, according to NBA.com's tracking, and NBA.com just defines mid-range as outside the paint and inside the three-point line. It's that simple. He's shooting 37% from mid-range, which is not horrible or anything like that. It's about league average. But the problem is, the math is no longer in his favor. If he's going to shoot that percentage from mid-range, him taking four mid-range shots in a game, five mid-range shots in a game, all of a sudden the math flips to not on his side at all. And he's a good mid-range shooter, but he's not a good enough mid-range shooter to where he can get away with these early in the shot clock, off the dribble, sometimes in transition, fadeaway, contested looks. I think... The Wizards are at a point where they just are so happy that he's shooting. And I don't think Scott Brooks would ever tell him, don't take that shot, it's a bad shot, because they don't ever want to deter him from shooting the basketball because they just want him shooting as much as possible. And I think they expect the numbers to come back up because he's been so much better of a shooter the last couple of years. But the mid-range numbers, if Otto is still going to take those shots, the mid-range numbers are something that will hurt this team not as much as the three-point numbers, but will hurt them consequentially because he takes those shots, and those could be better looks. 
because Otto can do things other than just spot up and take mid-range shots and take three-point shots. And those can become better looks, especially the ones that he takes early in the shot clock. And so if he continues to shoot 37 to 40% for the rest of the year, it's not like that's a bad percentage. It's, 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 it's pretty good. It's fine. Uh, but it's just a big hit from, from the load that he gave them in the past when Otto taking a mid-range shot was a legitimately good shot, which is a heck of a luxury to have, especially when you're going up against defenses like, like some of the defenses at the top of the, uh, like some of the defenses at the top of the East play, especially when you're going up against defenses that are going to give guys that shot. Like Otto could get that shot six times in a game, and he could get three or four of them. And that could be something. So just just a little nerdy thing to follow also, which I, I thought was nice to highlight in a game where he went over four. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so, like, I was just looking. And that's, and that's a good point. I hadn't looked up uh, that, that that number. And, um, yeah, obviously, it's, it's you know, it's, when you look at his stats over the course of the year, for for me, it, it does feel like I have to look at it like in, in splits. There's the you know just to define it this way. There's the pre John Wall and the post John Wall because obviously in the post John Wall, his his usage rate's gone up. He's more aggressive and and all that type of stuff. So it's almost like a different player on some level. Um, he's shooting forty one point two percent from the three from three in these last ten games for him or so, but he's only shooting about forty four percent from the field. So I guess probably on some level ties into what you're talking about, and and the thing like he the last two games he started off frigid from the field, um, couldn't get, couldn't make any shots early tonight. Initially the same thing happened in Golden State, and when you watch Otto, I mean he's he can definitely do more than he's shown when he's playing with John and Brad, and he's clearly the third wheel and not being that aggressive. Um, but at the same point when he gets when he's in position to be more assertive, so, sometimes he, um, you know, it's like the I don't know, it's like a kid who's got you know a sixteen-year-old a, a who's got his driver's license, and his, and his parents are out of town. They're like, okay, you can drive. You don't have to drive your uh, nineteen uh, your your two thousand and two Toyota Corolla. You can you can drive the the real the real the real car I got. And the kid doesn't quite know how to deal with it. Deal with it. Not that, it gets, not that he's getting in an accident, but it doesn't quite have a good feel for, for it sometimes. I feel that way about Otto's like sort of one on one game at times. Like he he kind of drives, but then he sort of gets caught up and in, in, into traffic or gets a little indecisive. And you know he's obviously not the biggest guy, so it's it, he can get bumped off his his shot a little bit. Um, and, and again, it's not to knock the overall aspect, but um, yeah, it, it feels like he's been sort of hunting for 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 his offense. Um, in, in what he's driving uh, is what I know. So at, beyond the arc, it's fine. But yeah, when he gets inside, he's looking. He, it seems like he can get a little out of control, a little bumped off his stride, and that probably coincides with the numbers you're talking about. Yeah, I mean he's a really good shooter. He's a good player, but it's it is an interesting thing to follow. Anything else we want to talk about uh, um, before we so, wrap? Well, just one quick thing. So yeah. I, mean, uh, I don't know what was said on the broadcast, but Mahimi. Um, in the first half, he actually you know made what three shots. Um, it was you know good 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 Mahimi performance, and then he left at one point, and we could see he was getting his thumb examined, and you could kind of tell they would touch his thumb, and he would kind of wince, um, and they put some tape on. He did play a little bit in the second half. He said after the game, I, I could see him like trying to you know whatever it was take off his clothes or adjust some things, some of his personal items. That you could tell that the thumb was still bothering him. Um, he said it was not in a great spot. He, he was hoping in the morning it would be 
fine. It was a sore, but he did uh, he did say he probably anticipated seeing. He said a specialist. I don't know if it's that serious, but you know, anticipates getting somebody else to look at it. So something to possibly keep an eye on. Uh, you know, maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's a sore, but he he definitely was was wincing when he was uh, playing with it um, after the game. The season of specialists. <laughs> Not, not the three-point specialist, the medical specialist. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to be pulling Anthony Morrow out of retirement. <laughs> yeah, deep, man. deep cut. Very deep cut. Very deep cut. One of the best, uh, one of the best interviews I ever covered. Great interview, Anthony Morrow. He's an awesome quote. Don't think I had the pleasure, so I will take your word for that. Oh yeah, he's great. He's awesome to cover. I enjoyed I enjoyed talking to him. He was always the go-to whenever something non-basketball related that was still important would happen. He was always the go-to that we go. He was like the role player in that locker room with the strong voice, you know? You know how there's always the role player whose voice kind of outplays the role he plays on the court? That was that was Anthony Morrow. Uh, anyway, I can't believe we're talking about Anthony Morrow as much as we are right now. Uh, I shouldn't say we. I should say I. Uh yeah, man, so, okay, so let's say no Mahimi. Thomas Bryant's their only center. Like, that's it. I mean, you know, Gary Payton, the second, they could just let him walk after a 10-day, sign a big man to a 10-day. Or sign a big man to a non-guaranteed deal or something like that. But, yeah, if Yam Mahimi doesn't play for a certain amount of time, then Thomas Bryant is legit their only center. Like, what is even – who is even the closest to a center? No, there, there just isn't one. I mean, I, I, I've been kind of saying that when you look at their lineup, the small lineup that we talked about and Thomas Bryant, it reminds me of some college teams that, like, they have, you know, like five perimeter players who are really good but zero size. But they have, like, one tall guy who's athletic and can do a couple things. That's Thomas Bryant. And then that's just it. They just go just sort of an Iron Man ball with that group. That's kind of like where the Wizards – are, 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 are at. Um, yeah, I mean, they, you know, if, if we play the game, what what would they actually look to seek at the trading deadline? I mean, I guess that in theory, they think they're going to get Marquise Morris back here at some point. I saw Morris running around pregame at the, at the, at, against Golden State um, doing some drills, and he was moving. The issue is not conditioning. The issue is contact, and he's still a few weeks away from testing that. So, yeah, I mean, to me, if they did actually make a move at the deadline, which I don't anticipate, but if they did, I would have to imagine they've got to get some some size uh, somehow. I mean, the, the rebounding's been a mess all year, and, you know, we saw again tonight, if Thomas Bryant's not on the court and he's not, you know, Wilt Chamberlain, if he's not on the court, they they, they, they just get pushed around by the Vuceviches of the world. And, um, yeah, so, yes, that would be – it's crazy to say, but, yes, losing Jan Mahimi would be problematic. Yeah, but, but, again, just to be clear, I'm not saying he's out. I'm just saying he said it was sore, and, you know, we'll see where, where he's at tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're speaking in hypotheticals. I uh, I think it's possible they make a move. It's possible. Like, they're not going to make, like, a big move. Because, from what I've heard, they really don't want to trade a pick. And they don't want to make a trade that makes them worse for this year. And I'm pretty sure that unless, like, they just get blown away by something and they're like, we have to do this, they're not planning on taking on salary. So if you don't want to trade a pick and you don't want to make a trade that makes you worse and you don't want to take on salary, that pretty much eliminates most Everything, trading. right. To, unless you just totally swindle a team. 
Like, that's the only way that you're going to end up doing it. Unless we're just talking about, like, maybe a need-for-need trade at the edge of the roster. You know, another team needs an extra wing who can be their 11th man, and the Wizards need an extra big man who can be their, uh, you know, their extra ninth man, and the other team has a surplus of bigs, you know? Like, one of them just isn't playing. And that's kind of what... That's the type of move that I could see them doing because they just need a body. They, just, I mean, the, they could use the a body. Literally, who, who would the Wizards even trade? The only people who didn't play tonight, essentially, were Troy Brown, who you would imagine they're not trading, and uh, that's it, right? Wasn't he the only guy? That, oh, well, Gary Payton wasn't even with the team. He's into the go-go. Jordan McRae was up, so he didn't play. So, I mean, they literally, I don't think even have anybody to trade, in, 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 even in that most basic of scenarios. I mean, it's such a weird dynamic. I, I would imagine, like you said, that if it comes down to something, Gary Payton gets the adios and they've signed, I don't know who, but some 6'10 guy. Which, by the way, my whole point with Jordan McRae has been, look, he's killing it in the, go, in, in the G League. If, he, if you're not going to use a 27-year-old, uh, from the G League when you at times have needed bodies, then just get rid of him and go sign a big man when you have when, when you don't have Morris, you traded away Jason Smith, uh, you clearly could use some some more stuff up front. Go get that guy. I mean you don't want they don't even want to look to play Mahimi half the time anyway because of the mismatches. So that seems to me more of an obvious thing. I mean by the way you could use Dever Robinson but he's not a center. So that's what I would probably I would yeah I, that's what would be my guess, which is obviously not very exciting, but that's where they're at. Yeah, I mean, we've discussed the Jordan McRae thing many times, that, like, what's the point of having a guy on a two-way if he's not a young guy you can develop and he's in his prime and you still won't play him even when he's averaging 30 a game? Like, it's not like Jordan McRae is going to turn into a six foot nine guy. Like, you're, that's not, I promise you that's not going to happen. So what did you expect Jordan McRae to do? He's got to be doing everything you possibly expected him to do. I, I just I the Jordan McRae thing is is just weird. It feels like they're like holding that situation hostage. It's such a strange thing. Anyway, let's wrap up, shall we? Anything else? Sure. Um, you know what? I was uh, I flew down to Orlando today, and while I was at the airport, the the, the news was breaking that uh, the FAA was stopping some flights. So the fact that I made it from there to here that was a big win. Oh, the Wizards yeah. got the, the Wizards got a big win. And now you know they're 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 just shoving Orlando down in the standings. Take that, Orlando, and uh, you know, go from there. By the way, here's a quick here's a quick one. In the last eleven games, who leads the Wizards in three point shooting percentage? Are we talking minimum number of attempts? Um, all the people who play. Thomas Bryant. Correct. Oh 60 percent. Yeah. Over his last, like, 16 games or so, Thomas Bryant is playing 20, coming into tonight, he was playing 24 minutes, averaging 14 and 8, shooting 70 from the field, 65 from 3, and 85 from the line. That is yeah. a pretty good waiver claim. <clears throat> that is probably amazing, more amazing. In third is Sam Decker. <laughs> that I wouldn't have got. Yeah. One, one last stat, then I'll let you go. At the end of the first quarter tonight, the Wizards were shooting 50% from the field, 50% from three, and 50% from the free throw line. Oh, that is aesthetic right there. 
That was the, I enjoy I enjoyed that moment. That was my favorite. That was my highlight of the game. They should have just stopped the game. <laughs> uh, uh, tell tell my listeners where they can find you before you go. Uh, NBC Sports Washington. Uh, I am the Wizards uh, insider with uh, good hair. Chase Hughes gets too much credit for his hair. I, I get better <laughs> hair. And uh, on Twitter at Ben Standig. Great. And uh, you can subscribe to Wizards After Dark on iTunes. You can give us five stars. You can leave a nice review. You can check out some stuff I've had up on The Athletic over the last couple of days. I had a story on – I talked about this on the last podcast when I had Anthony Slater on. Uh, We talked a little bit of all-star balloting stuff, and uh, both of us had votes for all-star starters, and we actually both – voted for Bradley Beal. We were two of the seven media members who voted for Beal. Um, I had a story up on just my reasoning behind why I voted for Bradley Beal, and it was pretty in-depth and pretty comprehensive. So if you don't understand why I voted for him after that, uh, then I don't know what to tell you. You can always tweet me questions if I left something out there. Uh, And uh, I got another thing from this morning, since we were just talking trades, I have another thing from this morning kind of on a a deadline primer because the the deadline is in uh, less than two weeks now. We're 13 days away at the time of recording this on Friday night. We're 13 days away from the trade deadline. So time to start thinking about all that stuff. I will be back with another episode. I'll be in San Antonio. I'll be recording another episode from there after the Spurs game. I'll talk to you guys then. 